If you ask someone what, what does conservation mean to you, people will tell you, they'll give you examples about rhinoceroses maybe or, or whales or um, elephants or sharks. They'll all be animals but no one ever mentions plants and the reality is that two in five of the world's plant species worldwide is threatened with extinction and this is deeply concerning to botanists but, but actually for everyone because we're reliant on, on plants completely, so for the clothes we wear, the medicines we take and the, and the foods we eat, but also actually for plants and um, biodiversity in general for, for its own sake because these species existed long before we did and we, we share our biosphere, this, this thin layer of life on our planet that is our home with all these plants and animals. And, and I really think that we have a, a moral obligation to, to protect them. And, and I think most people would agree with me on that. Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Ask William and Friends. Never has there been a more important time for people to appreciate the critical role of plants in our health and well-being. They soothe and heal with their medicinal ingredients, their oils and scents. Even the act of gardening can soothe our furrowed brows and calm any anxiety. On a global level, they are key to the health of the environment and the planet. Today's fabulous guest is renowned botanist Dr Chris Thorogood. He is the Deputy Director of the UK's oldest botanic gardens at Oxford. Most usually found in the leafy borders of the brilliant English garden, he is also an intrepid explorer and adventurer, trekking through the most remote forests in search of new species and exotic flowers. He is also an amazing artist and creates exquisite paintings of his finds and favourites, just like the original naturalists of old. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation with a true expert and a character as colourful as the plants that he so loves. So Chris, it's so good having you here today. Uh, lots of people have suffered terribly over the last couple of years, physically, mentally and emotionally. How has the garden helped? Green spaces are so important for people's mental health and, and well-being and we've seen that firsthand here at the Botanic Garden, the Arboretum. So we had to close our doors during the first lockdown um, until a certain point in June of 2020 when we were allowed to, to reopen our gates and, and we did and people came flooding back to our sites, particularly at the Arboretum in fact. And we had so many people who had never been to the Arboretum before who, who wanted to engage with our site and those who returned, and we actually had people in tears because they were so emotional about reconnecting with a site that meant so much to them that they hadn't been able to access for, for some time. So I really think that it put a spotlight on just how important these green spaces are to, to people, very much so. Yeah. I mean, we are so lucky being in Oxfordshire because we're surrounded by it. We are, yeah. we are. So we'll talk also about the Oxford Artistan Distillery, yeah. which is a massive part of the city now, um, and they've collaborated with some of the best sites, including the Botanic Garden, the Ashmolean, mm. um, and Oxford in general. Um, they created a very delicious gin, yeah. which I've experienced on numerous occasions, <laughs> and it is one of my favourites, but it is also very unique yeah. in its taste. Um, I'd love you to explain a little bit more about how it came about um, and, and yeah, what the botanics were involved in it, let's say. Yeah, uh, Oxford Physic Gin, um, as, as you say, it's produced by the Oxford Artisan Distillery and it, and it includes botanicals, so the plants that, that are used um, in the gin that, that are grown here at the Botanic Garden. Um, but more than that, 
um, they're very specific plants and they were inspired by um, a catalogue, a list of plants that were grown in the Botanic Garden in the 1600s. So Oxford Botanic Garden is what we call a, or was a physic garden, a, a garden in which medicinal plants were grown to teach the university students about herbal medicine and, and how plants uh, are used in herbal medicine. And it's Britain's oldest botanic garden, um, Oxford. So Oxford Botanic Garden is, um, it was uh, 400 um, on the 25th of July last, last year. So we're still celebrating at our 400th year. So, so it's a very special time for us. So the oldest botanic garden, and importantly, we know just what was grown here in, in the 1600s. So there was a chap called Jacob Bobart the Elder, who was the, the keeper of the garden, so the, the, the guy in charge. And he kept meticulous records, William, of what was grown here. Um, so in 1648, we, ha we have this catalogue of, of what was grown. And that was the basis of, of the inspiration behind the botanicals that were selected to go into the gin. So you really are drinking history when you, when you drink Oxford Physic gin. And it's, um, it's our most popular product here in, in, in the shop. So um, it's very, very popular. So it's do, very delicious. It's very delicious. So, so do come along and buy some, some Oxford Physic gin um, from which the proceeds support all of the good work of the Botanic Garden. So Amazing. So in regards to the botanicals that were used mm. all them years ago, mm. are they the ones that are here now that go into the physics gym? Yeah, so I mean the, the, the list was quite assorted, so I'm trying to remember, there was a lot of citrus on, on the list. There was about 36 used, was there? Mm. Yeah. And um, the, I mean it won't be the same citrus trees from the look of them that, that were here growing under glass. Um, so, but certainly the, the key, pl the, you know, the signature plants were the same you know if people are here there is yeah. obviously the Oxford Artistan Distillery to pop up to yes. they have tours that go on yeah. um, there is some rye whiskey um, that they've laid and that's now ready to be drank as well um, and you guys are also doing something with whiskey yes we have some very exciting plans afoot um, for for our 400 so um, there will be a whiskey in, in the future so I won't say too much more about that now but but do look out for further updates on this exciting product that is on the horizon. Is that a physics whiskey? <laughs> you can't say too much. I, there, there, there is a, um, there is a, a physics element to it. Mm. <laughs> so the, the boxes in which the bottles will go for, for this special whiskey are actually crafted from a very special tree, a black pine, Pinus nigra, that grew here in the Botanic Garden and had to be felled a few years ago, um, sadly, because it lost some, some, some limbs and it, and it was no longer safe. But the wood um, from this, this very special tree, as I say, is used to make the boxes. This was a tree that Tolkien himself wow. um, would sit beneath. It was his favourite tree in, in the Botanic Garden. So again, just like when we talked about the Physic Gin um, being so rich in history, here is, here is another example. So it's a product that we're, we're truly excited about. That's remarkable. Why is Oxford's Botanic Garden so important in the realm of well-being? Oxford Botanic Garden is like this green oasis in, in the city, William. And I should say at this point we have a, a, a sister site, our Arboretum in Newnham Courtney as well. That's beautiful. It, it really is and has a very different feel to the Botanic Garden. So, so the Botanic Garden is, is this sort of gem um, that you can see all of the, the historic buildings around it. So it's, um, it's a, a heritage site. The Arboretum has a different feel. So it's... Uh, 135 acres of 
uh, meadows, a pine eatum and, and a woodlands. Both these sites are really important for, for the communities here, um, for our visitors, to engage with the, the nature that, that these sites hold. So as I say, we've got thousands of different plants and, and trees from, from around the world. And it's really important to people's well-being to be in green spaces. And that's something, you know, that we've really learned in, in the pandemic, that it's so important for people to be connected with nature. Um, and I think we all knew that on some level, but this has really come to the, to the fore recently. Um, so green spaces are very important to people's mental health and well-being. And, and Oxford Botanic Garden and Arboretum are no exception. Amazing. The only difference is there is no peacocks here, <laughs> whereas... The, the peacocks are, I, I, I have to say, they are a bit of a problem. They, they've pecked my car before. Oh, really? We do encourage our visitors not to, to feed the peacocks, I have to say. They're not actually owls. Oh, <laughs> they really? don't belong to the Arboretum, no, but, but they're very happy there. They're very beautiful, well, but... I think that that speed camera has been put in there just for <laughs> them to cross the road. They just don't care. <laughs> Yesterday, they just pile out onto the main road without any... any... No bother on them. No, no, no. no. This conversation with Chris about the critical role nature and arts play in wellness reminds me of my fantastic trip to Greece last summer with Sun for New Mediterranean Voyages. After a week with Sun for New playing in nature, seeing ancient art and working out with an amazing personal trainer, I was just about as well as I have ever been. My body and soul were smiling. I can recommend Sun for New to my clients looking for a trip with just the right amount of marriage, of wellness and debussery without hesitation. That's one of the joys of being a concierge, to help people find the perfect experiences to fit their needs. So you are also a fantastic artist. Um, <laughs> do you think art goes naturally with botanical science? Thank you um, for saying so. That's very kind, William. <laughs> and, um, yes, I, I, I wasn't expecting the question. <laughs> so, um, but I'll answer the, the, the second part. Yeah, yes, actually, it, it does. And so illustration, not just for plants, but for all living things, ha has always gone hand in hand with, with science. So when a new species is described, um, a scientist, whether it's a botanist or a zoologist, they'll write what we call a, a type description. So, so this is the version of the truth that goes with this, this species. So a description that, that you can always go back to and you, and you know what the key features are of, of that living thing. And often, uh, usually, this is accompanied by an illustration, a scientific illustration. And so any plant species you can think of um, you can go back to that original scientific paper that was written, even if it was hundreds of years ago, mm -hmm. and particularly actually before photography, it was ever so important to have that scientific illustration that went alongside it that, that would highlight all of the key features that, that went with that species. But even today, you know, illustrations are important for that very reason, and, and also they're objects of beauty as well. So herbaria, which are collections of dried pressed plants, just like museums with dried animal specimens, um, their archives hold millions of illustrations um, that hold valuable information about these, these species and, and when they were described. Actually, just last year, I worked with some foresters and botanists in Malaysia. And um, there's a chap called Domi who he he works alongside indigenous communities in, in the rainforests in Malaysia. He's, he's this amazing guy that finds plants that none of us have access to and, and could ever dream of, of seeing and he found this really peculiar one called Thysmia and he brought it to the attention of a, another botanist in Malaysia and then she shared it with me 
and together the three of us uh, wrote the paper to describe this new species, which we called uh, Thysmia citimeriami, which is named after Domi's mum, which is really nice. She's called City. Um, and, I, and I produced the illustration that went alongside that, that paper um, d- to describe the species. So, so I guess that gives you an idea of the process yeah. as to how species are described and why illustration is, is so important um, to it. But then there's also, I mean, that sort of technical scientific illustration. But then, of course, botanical illustration can also be something that's very beautiful. So um, people tend to work with watercolours, but not, not just watercolours. To, to illustrate plants in, in a way that, um, that, that has its own beauty, I, mm-hmm. I think. So a very important um, aspect of, of botany. Yes. Amazing. So where is this, uh, this species of plant now? Mm. Thysmia citimeriami. It's, its common name is a, a fairy lantern. It's this peculiar little orange, um, extraordinary thing. Um, and it only grows in Teranganu um, in, in Malaysia. But to be honest the scientists that I work with have never managed to retrace it and to find it again. So, wow. so it's exceptionally rare, if not extinct already. Wow. What is the most sort of um, specialist plant that you've got? I, we looked at some of the carnivorous ones. Yeah. I, I'm, What's a must-see when people come? <laughs> yeah. So um, the first thing I should say is always check out our website first to check the glass houses are open. They, they normally are, but sometimes... Our guys have to get in there and, and do some cutting back and things like that. In the summer months, everything's really at its peak and, and it's a, a veritable rainforest in there. So, so do come along and, and check Amazing. out our glass houses. And the plants I would recommend looking at, uh, yes, there are two things I, I think you should look out for. One is the carnivores, as, as you say. So these are, are plants that have leafy traps that attract, um, digest and kill ins- usually insect yeah. prey. So so these are the plant predators, you know, these are these but are plants. on a much larger scale than you'd probably be used to seeing. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. No, they're they're they're, they're very impressive and quite beautiful actually, I, yeah, I think. They are. Um, and then the other plant I would say to look out for is our giant Amazonian water lily, which you'll see from the months of probably well, late June through um, all through the summer. So so if you come um, at that time of year because we can't actually grow them all year round because we don't have the light levels to sustain them um, but do come and see those growing in our water leaf ponds they've, they've been grown here since um, I would say 1853 I, I believe so they've been uh, grown here continuously for a very long time and they produce these extraordinary leaves and, and I have to say so this is the plant that I, I was saying I've, I've worked on with these physicists and when it's at the height of its growing season it, it chucks out these leaves so quickly that we can't keep up with it and our um, our horticulturists have to to cut the leaves out to give the plant room and when we lift one we take it out of the water the underside is so spectacular and intricately beautiful it has this superstructure of uh, a web of um, well it looks like a spider's web actually of of veins on the undersurface and it's so very beautiful that people actually gasp when they see us take it out um, with with astonishment well I'll be coming to see that (laughs) do please do so what plans do you have uh, for Oxford's Botanic Gardens in the future the first thing I'd say is if you haven't been to the Botanic Garden or haven't been recently, or even if you have, do come and, and visit us because there's there's always something to see. I mean, I love working here, needless to say, but you know, no two days are ever the same because we have a living collection, so plants that, that are changing all the time. So every time you visit, it, it's, it's slightly different. This is a really special time to visit the Botanic Garden because we're still celebrating our, our 400th anniversary. And we have um, two weeks of all sorts of exciting celebratory activities lined up for July. Um, so please do check our website on the What's On page 
um, for what to come to to come and see in in, in July in in particular. And there are some some very exciting highlights of the new whiskey that we talked about, but also a new rose. Oxford Physic Rose is going to be launched this year um, at the Chelsea Flower Show, which is which is truly exciting. So this was a, a rose that was conceived by um, well, actually first by um, Simon Hiscock, is the director of the Botanic Garden, Professor Simon Hiscock. His partner, um, Dr. Suzanne O'Shea, she actually came up with the the idea for the rose, and then um, together with Simon and working with Peter Beale's roses, the, the rose breeder, they developed this new cultivar of rose, which is now called, um, now named Oxford Physic Rose. And it's a really beautiful um, pink blush rose, which is, it has an open flower, which is perfect for pollinators, as well as being very beautiful. It's, it's um, highly fragrant as well. Um, and it grows really well um, in a range of conditions. So it's something that gardeners will be interested in. So, so that's being launched this year and that will be available at Oxford Botanic Garden to, to purchase. So, so that's something to look out for as well. So, so th- there's a lot on the horizon. I have obviously witnessed that lovely rose and I managed to um, smell it whilst drinking physics gin. <laughs> physics gin. <laughs> Physic gin, which was delicious. So Chris, experts in all fields, especially things like history and science, tend to have frequent disagreements. What are the main areas of disagreement with botanists, either at present or in the past? You know, I think actually there's a lot less discord and disagreement among botanists now than there used to be because Previously, botanists were, were very much reliant on what a plant looks like. So we, we say it's morphology. So um, if, you, if you like the, the anatomy of, of the plants in order to identify and classify them. But since the advent of DNA sequencing technology, particularly in the 1990s, so rather like if, if you've watched any sort of crime scene investigation uh, programmes on TV, you'll know that, that DNA is, is, is crucial to solving crimes. Well, similarly, it's, it's also important for classifying living things because it's a means of objectively sorting things out and seeing what's related to what. So whereas there was an awful lot of disagreement among, among botanists and taxonomists about which plant belonged to which family and that kind of thing, actually um, I think there's a lot more harmony now <laughs> because we have an objective means of, of sorting things out. Well, so I obviously was at the Randolph um, and that feeds nicely into Colin Dexter, who was obviously the writer here, uh, and God rest his soul, Chris Burt, who was mm-hmm. the producer. And uh, yeah, it was featured a lot in, in the Botanic Gardens throughout the, the series. So, um, And I think also something's coming to the city for Lord of the Rings series um, in a few weeks to do with Tolkien as well. Oh, okay. So there might be a... Uh, so many many people come to the Botanic Garden to see Will and Lyra's bench uh, from that features in Philip Pullman's um, trilogy. So this is a um, a bench in a very beautiful, peaceful spot in the lower garden um, here at Oxford Botanic Garden um, that looks out over the water garden and the pond. And um, and so so many of our visitors, as I, as I say, they'll um, they'll stroll um, around the water garden and, and sit on that on that lovely bench. Um, there's also a surprise lurking in the trees in the literary garden. So that's a, um, a shady area of the historic walls garden where there's a, a, a certain Cheshire cat mm. um, <laughs> hiding in the trees. So do look out for, for him. We've had many, many um, <laughs> we've had a fair few fictional murders in the Botanic Garden in, in, in the past. Uh, Morse, Endeavour, all sorts of... Um, <laughs> bits and 
Yes, yes, you occasionally hear film crews and screams and, and things from, from within the walls of the Botanic Garden. <laughs> Perfect, wow. With regards to the planting, so the garden at the back here, yeah. which is the outdoor, what's the, what gardens? So, so we have the walled garden, which yeah. is the, the historic garden within the, the, that the backs four old walls. That looks onto Christchurch. So that looks out onto Magdalen Tower, and then beyond it, you have the lower garden, and that's what what adjoins Christchurch I Meadow, yeah. and, and it has a very different feel actually. So the lower garden has a much more sort of um, organic, freer feel, I think, whereas the walled garden has has a you know that that sort of heritage historic feel to it with the the rectilinear beds um so the plants are organized by their relatedness um but we have some some very special and ancient trees in in the wall garden so there's one particular tree actually i should mention which is a yew tree which was planted by um jacob bobart the elder the chap i mentioned earlier that the keeper of the garden and there once would have been more of them um, growing in, in a line along that main concourse, but this is the sole survivor. Um, wow. So it's coming up to, to 400 years old. And um, unfortunately, we lost the top off the tree during Storm Kira a, a couple of years ago. Uh, but luckily for us, yew trees are very regenerative. So, so, it, so it's you know, growing back. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, I have to say it looks a little bit unshapely. Uh, we're all we're all very sad that day. But but, you know, it, 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 it's it still didn't. standing. Yeah, exactly. It's alive and, and, and it will it will see another few hundred years, we okay. hope. So is that one of the oldest trees and plants in the, the our, gardens? Our oldest specimen. Our oldest. It is our oldest. But there are all sorts of surprises in this botanic garden. So um, there are there are botanical curiosities shall we say lurking in every corner so there are plants growing out of the the historic walls which are not accession so documented within our living collection that presumably must have been grown a long time ago that then seeded themselves up in the walls and now they that's where they grow so there's one called a hieracium that i, I see lots of growing at, um, in the in inaccessible reaches of, of the walls and it must have been grown here at some point but um, and then every so often we have other things that, that sort of crop up. So there's one called the berry catchfly, I, I believe is its, its common name, Silene baxifera. And one of the, the gardeners here found it growing in a shady corner of the garden. And that's something that we know was grown hundreds of years ago, but we no longer grow it. But, yeah. but you know, they're, they're, they're sort of lurking there in the seed bank or in, in the vestiges of the walls. So we know that there's plenty of threatened animal species. Yeah. Are there any threatened plant species that people need to be aware of and look out for? I, I'm really glad that you've asked that question because when we think about rare species and, and we think about conservation, you know, if you, if, if, if you ask someone what, what does conservation mean to you, people will tell you, they'll give you examples about rhinoceroses maybe or, or whales or um, elephants or sharks. They'll all be animals but no one ever mentions plants and the reality is that two in five of the world's plant species worldwide is threatened with extinction. And this is deeply concerning to botanists, but, but actually for everyone, because we're reliant on, on plants completely. Mm. So for the clothes we wear, the medicines we take and the, and the foods we eat, but also actually for plants and um, biodiversity in general for, for its own sake, because these species existed long before we did, and we, we share our biosphere, this, this thin layer of life on our planet that is our home with all these plants and animals. And, and I really think that we have a, a moral obligation to, to protect them. And, and I think most people would agree with me on that. 
but but there isn't necessarily the awareness that plants are are under threat as much as animals and and they they really they very much are so so that that is something that that's deeply concerning and why why are they under threat i mean what's happening you know people digging them up are they building houses are they chopping i mean the rainforest obviously chopping down massive amounts of trees but that that's that's true and and it's it's complicated and the reasons are, are, are multifarious but um, certainly there are some parts of the world that are, are much richer in their biodiversity that, than in others. So, so actually where we're sitting in, in the UK, um, it, it's, it's not as rich as other places in the world. Um, there, there are many reasons for that. There have be, been people that have cleared the land here for a long time, but also an ice age. Um, if you go to certain parts of the world in the tropics, the old world tropics, exceptionally rich. And so any um, habitat destruction somewhere there where you've got so much species richness to begin with is disproportionately bad if, if you know what I mean versus mm. versus here but but of course um, it's very easy for someone um, sitting in my shoes to, to talk about habitat destruction but the reality is that that we're all so interdependent and the things that we that we use in our everyday lives um, that has an impact on, on on everything so there are many things that that we can all do and choices that, that we can make and I don't want to sound like I'm like I'm preaching here, but I think it's it is important that people, you know, that we understand that that plants are under threat as much as animals are. Mm-hmm. And with global warming, I mean, yeah. is that a massive element to it as well? Yeah, it, it is. Um, so, but it's actually such an unknown, isn't it? Because we we don't necessarily know that the impacts of, of climate change and how it's going to um, to come to bear um, on, in in certain parts of the world and, and habitats. But, but yes, it's it's deeply concerning. But but I'll give you a. Um, a positive. A positive, yeah, exactly, <laughs> I will. So um, so one of the plants I, I work on in my research, it's called a desert hyacinth. Its proper name is Sistanki, and it's the most extraordinary looking thing you'll see. So it grows in the, the, the middle of the desert, and it has no leaves and no roots. So it's just this little collection of flowers. So it does look a bit like a, a hyacinth on steroids. It's massive, yeah. um, often yellow. There are, there are pink ones as well, but they, they just look extraordinary. And they're parasitic, so they steal their food from the roots of other plants um, that may be growing metres away, um, desert shrubs. And so these are plants that have been used for food and herbal medicine actually for thousands of years in, in China and, and, and across the old world deserts and um, through to the Middle East. And I'm very interested in these plants and I've worked with other scientists um, at the University of Reading and also in the Middle East and China trying to understand the species limits of these plants. So what I mean by that is where does one species start and, and another one ends? Because it isn't always as, as clear as it is in, in, in more obvious examples. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, this is the case in plants. And so we've, we started working on these. But interestingly, in, um, in deserts in China, the Chinese have, have started growing what they call shelter forests, which are these long ribbons of um, desert shrubs or trees, saxels and tamarisks, that are planted to halt land degradation, which is a result of climate change. So basically deserts spreading to places where they, where they shouldn't be. And they act as rather like fire breaks. And here's the thing, the desert hyacinth, which I mentioned, can be grown alongside those um, shelter forests mm-hmm. and used as a crop. And so potentially this is a, um, of interest. It could be a, a, a crop of the future. It could be something we could grow more widely in desertic parts of, of the world. And also it means that um, you have a crop that doesn't need irrigation or fertilizers because, it do- because this plant doesn't. 
and it would relieve pressure on wild populations. If people were growing it alongside these shelter forests, they wouldn't need to harvest them in the wild. So, so it's it's just a, a I guess a, a small but innovative way that we can we can examine plants and think about how they might be used in the future in in a changing world and a changing climate. Fantastic. What does being a botanist mean these days, and what got you into it? So, William, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with plants. I've always been um, obsessed with plants. So. My bedroom windowsill was, was a bit like a, a rainforest. I had all sorts of exotic vines and things sort of growing up the curtain poles and jamming the curtains. And I had fish tanks full of orchids and pitcher plants. So I think I was destined to be a botanist. Um, and today I, I'm the deputy director here at Oxford Botanic Garden and I'm doing my, my dream job. So just before we started this podcast, you were asking me if I've been away recently and I've just recently got back from an expedition in the Philippines in the most remote wilderness, the rainforest that you could possibly imagine. And so I spent time with um, with a tribe, with an indigenous community, and um, they took me into the very heart of the rainforest in the Philippines and we saw the most extraordinary plants. It really was a, a special experience. So my job takes me all around the world. So I'm never happier than when I'm in a a desert looking at a rare plant or a rainforest um, and then um, yeah so so my work here um, at the Botanic Garden we, we grow um, 5,000 or so different plants from all around the world and I'm interested in what we can find out about those plants and um, um, in terms of science and how we might use them in technology as well so uh, recently I, I worked with some physicists and mathematicians to to understand more about the mechanics of water lily leaves and how and why they grow so big and, and so strong and how that might have applications in, for example, design and engineering for giant solar floating solar panels, for example, inspired by water lilies. So these are the kind of things that, that I ask as, as a botanist. Amazing. So I, um, um, I have green fingers, apparently. Okay. Or I'm told I have. <clears throat> um, what, what have you grown, William? Well, just before I came... <laughs> To see you today, um, I had to water my hydrangeas okay. because they're absolutely knackered, and they absorb so much water. And yeah. I'm not watering them. So what, do you know what kind of hydrangeas they are, William, or what what colour? Or they are usually pinkish. Okay. Um, they're very very big. They're about four years old. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, I've not snipped them back, which yeah. I should have probably done this year. Yeah. Um, they didn't flower last year. Okay. They were very very green. Yeah. They had plenty of water. Um, so they've had some water. And they're in beds or pots? They're in a massive, some big heavy pots. So yeah, they probably right. need repotting, maybe. They might, but if they were very green, you say, last year, do you feed so them? So green, do I do feed, feed them, yeah. Mm, I wonder if you fed them something that has encouraged a lot of leaf growth. Probably, yeah. Yeah, rather than flower growth. That's what, what I'm going to send it to you. <laughs> but you said green fingers and they've got lots of green they leaves. green so. fingers, exactly. Um, but but I wonder if you were to give it something like a high potash feed or a tomato feed. So I've got wood burners. Okay. And some people did say to me to use your um, ash. Yes. And to put it into the, the beds. Yes, I have done that sparingly. It, it rather depends on, on what you burn and, and how, you, how you use it. I probably wouldn't put it on the potted hydrangeas. Fine. Um, <laughs> I sent you a picture. <laughs> send me a picture. Um, but it doesn't sound like you're going too far wrong. They sound healthy and green. So how can people get involved uh, with the Botanic Gardens? There are many ways you can get involved. So um, have a look at our, our website and our social media channels to see the kind of things we do, um, if you're able to. 
Um, come and visit our sites, uh, better still, um, particularly as, as we come into the summer because it's very beautiful and we have a lot of exciting things planned for our 400th anniversary. And think about becoming a, an annual pass holder um, if, if you're able to, to visit regularly um, or a friend of the Botanic Garden Arboretum. So there are so many ways that you, you, you can get involved, either um, digitally or physically. Am I a friend now? I'm a friend of the garden. <laughs> you're a friend with it. Um, we are obviously, we're doing a few um, bespoke little get-togethers with, with you guys at the Botanics for, for some visitors that are coming back. It's nice to see that international travel is returning mm. um, and so there's some really lovely exclusive things that we're going to be doing uh, with you and the Professor. Mm. Um, so if people want to know more about that then obviously get in touch with Ask William which is great. <laughs> um, Chris it's been so nice uh, speaking with you today and thank you for being my friend and uh, may long it continue and if there's anything else I can do to help and vice versa then just let me know. It's been such a pleasure thanks so much William. Thank you everyone for listening to our fourth podcast of Ask William and Friends. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we enjoyed making it with the amazing Dr Chris Thurgood. Please do let me know your thoughts and subscribe to our series. Feel free to share with everyone because it's absolutely fantastic, as I'm sure you'll agree. Our next episode is to celebrate food and drink and it will feature a culinary genius. Watch this space. I'm excited to think that you will be with us, so please, please stay tuned. Find us at Spotify, Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, goodbye.